Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. I'm so excited to share this episode with you today. This is a wonderful conversation I had with Dr. Liz Wynn, a wonderful psychiatrist and human who is passionate about how nature and particularly water can be healing to us. In this episode, we define cultural psychiatry, ecotherapy, spirituality, many important concepts integral to psychological well-being. Ecotherapy is a fascinating topic, and I've personally known that my own mood and mindset improve after time in nature, particularly on the water. And there's plenty of data out there confirming this as well. Perhaps you could take a walk or spend some time outdoors as you listen to this episode. Let me introduce to you Dr. Wynn. Dr. Elizabeth Wynn is a multidimensional psychiatrist, writer, and author of the recently published novel, Aloha Vietnam, which shares the story of an immigrant family navigating mental illness. She was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. Her parents were refugees from Vietnam who arrived in Honolulu in 1975 at the end of the Vietnam War. She received her BA from Stanford in Human Biology, her MD from Northwestern University, and completed her psychiatry residency and child psychiatry fellowship training at UC Davis. She started her career in community mental health with specific interests in cross-cultural psychiatry, the intersection of spirituality and mental health, and the healing power of water and the natural world. She currently lives and works in private practice in Davis, California. You can find her online at multidimensionalpsychiatry.com, waterkeeperscommunity.com, and learn more about her book at alohavietnam.com. And now my conversation with Dr. Wynn. Thank you so much, Dr. Wynn, for joining us today on this podcast. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so let's start with you. If you could share with listeners a bit about your background and how you became really passionate about your work. Sure, I'd love to. I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. My parents are refugees from Vietnam. They came to Hawaii after the end of the war in 1975. And so growing up in a a refugee family in Hawaii, I just became very interested in cultural identity and understanding how a person's culture and background affects their development of self and sense of place and being. And then just growing up in the islands of Hawaii, I was surrounded by natural beauty all the time. And that was really was so precious to me to, to begin to cultivate my deep love for nature, specifically the ocean and water. And then there was mental illness in my family growing up. So that sort of became, I didn't go to medical school thinking I would go into psychiatry. But as I progressed through, I realized I really was interested in people's stories and really understanding people. And so I think my personal background in, in all of that helped me become a cultural psychiatrist. And then as I further developed along my personal journey, I, I did, definitely developed interest in, in spirituality and ecotherapy. And, and I bring that all together as a multidimensional psychiatrist. There's so many different things there that I want to get into. Let's just start with what is a cultural psychiatrist? A cultural psychiatrist is someone who really looks not just through the lens of culture, but also through the lens of culture. 
when we evaluate a person sitting in front of us to help us understand what what is the what are the factors, the cultural factors that contribute to their symptoms, the meaning of their symptoms, how it may impact diagnosis and treatment, and, and really helping us just understand more broadly and specifically who is really sitting in front of me, not just the DSM, but what brought this person, what's their person's, their journey through life, and how do they understand themselves and others around them. It sounds like a really enriching part of understanding someone, which I would say that if we just use the DSM, it would not be a particularly rich way of understanding the, the human that's in front of us. You also mention spirituality as and ecotherapy, but starting with the spirituality piece, how would you define spirituality? What kind of, what does that include? What does that mean? I define spirituality as every individual's personal relationship to the sacred, whatever you define as the sacred, your deeper connection to yourself, to to life, and the bigger picture of the mystery of life. It's the questions around what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? How? Why are we all here? I found myself answering, asking myself those questions from a very young age. So I was very naturally curious about those things, and I think I've always been seeker to those answers, which I think is how I define spirituality is you find yourself asking and seeking these questions that really don't have an answer you can find in a book. They are more just your personal journey of understanding your personal relationship to life and the sacred. And what is the relationship between that and mental health? There's lots of studies out there that show that spirituality can be a positive factor in both physical and mental health. It can provide a psychological resource to people when they are facing challenges, either physically or mentally, that they, they have no control over, which, as we know, is life. We, we ultimately don't have control over so many things. And so when we have a background of being able to make sense, make meaning of why things are happening to us, why we're going through what we're going through. It can give us an extra level of resilience and perspective shift around how to manage life's inevitable challenges. I think spirituality for some people is really at the forefront of their consciousness. It's something they they think about and are curious about a lot of the times. And then for other people, it's not. And again, that's no, that's no judgment. Again, understanding the culture of someone sitting in front of you and to under, to ask, is spirituality important to you would be a really important thing to help you understand better who's sitting in front of you, whether it's important to them or not, or if they're curious about it, like just to understand if that's even something they think about would help you understand how to serve them better. If someone wanted to perhaps, given what you just described as the data linking mental health and spirituality, and if someone wanted to perhaps explore that for themselves or maybe grow that part of themselves, what advice would you have for that person, whether they're doing it individually or with the help of a professional? Yeah. First of all, I would just get really curious about asking them to explore with me and themselves what actually interests them about spirituality. Why? What makes them curious about it? What are they hoping to 
discover and explore about themselves and life through that journey because spirituality is a is, i think of it like as a like a thread a dimension of our being that's an infinite exploration of self so it's not i want to understand diabetes better and you can really like finally get an answer spirituality is something that's once you open that curiosity is ever unfolding and ever deepening. So there's really no endpoint to your spiritual journey and your spiritual exploration. So it's around really starting that framework of, oh, you're curious about something about yourself, about life. Like what, what makes you curious about it? And let's follow that thread of your exploration as your spirituality, which is why I defined it as a, a personal relationship to the sacred, because my spirituality is going to be different from every other person's spirituality. Even if I'm in a room of spiritual people these days, our spirituality is so uniquely ours. And so it's about opening up the dialogue around you. You have a spirituality and let's just have you explore what that means to you. Yeah, and I think in in terms of the spirituality piece, you also had mentioned when we first started talking, you had mentioned the power of water as well. And you know, uh, offline, we talked a little bit about water healing, and you use the term ecotherapy. I think it would be helpful to to define what ecotherapy is, because I think that some people might not necessarily be familiar with that term. But then also, I would love to just spend a little bit of time talking about water healing. And I'm certainly not an expert on ecotherapy, but I have seen some really interesting literature that talks about what happens to our brains when they're, when they're in a blue space, um, what that, that does for someone. And I feel like I myself have experienced that personally, just the kind of internal sense of calm when you're out, just standing, standing there looking at, at the ocean. I, I, recently moved a little bit further away from the ocean and I miss it. <laughs> I'd love to dive into all those topics. So let's like kind of start with the framework of ecotherapy, which is this huge broad term that actually encompasses a lot of different emerging therapies that are, I think, centered around the research, the growing evidence and research that, that nature heals and that being more, being exposed, being in and around nature and the natural world and engaging with it in a variety of ways makes us feel better, happier, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Those the studies that show that our brain imaging actually lights up areas that are more associated with positive emotions, empathy, and connection. Whereas when we're in urban landscapes, we our areas of our brain light up more stress and anxiety. But I think it's important to just have a framework of ecotherapy because there's so many different areas of it. I think the core of it is this understanding that humans are a part of the ecological ecosystem of nature and the natural world. And, and part of our pathology, part of our dysfunction and disorder has been that we have forgotten that very foundational truth when you look at the the dsm and, and psychiatry they don't even talk about culture and environment and our connection to the natural world and it's sort of like ecotherapy is just reminding people like 
oh, wait, it's the same way cultural psychiatry is trying to remind mental health professionals that, oh, wait, you've forgotten to really look at these other dimensions of wellness, of identity, of truth around what makes a whole person feel whole and connected. And yes, you've got it down around what disorders and pathology can look like. But when someone, a healthy whole person feels connected to the environment they live in, the community they live in, the culture they belong to or used to belong to. And and that are all those interconnected web systems that ecotherapy takes as a sort of a foundational groundwork that you have to have those in place in order to feel well and connected. So how do we restore those broken disconnection by even just reminding you that you are a part of the greater web of life. Uh, And so ecotherapy helps. It comes up with a variety of different applications of how to reconnect people to both physically their natural world and then also their consciousness of that you are a part of this greater web and ecosystem of life. And when you feel that, when you know that, you're going to feel better. And I, I love that emphasis on that kind of connection and, and using yourself into, easing yourself into that web of connectivity, because I think it's different than the way we traditionally think of, let's say, medication management, where the medication is a tool and you take it. You're not eco, the eco world is not a tool that you take and ingest. You become part of it. Yeah. You become ecologically restored. So I call my work also human ecological restoration, like a spinoff of my framework of how I apply ecotherapy to my practice. So I really view wherever you're starting at, let's restore you to not only your natural state as an individual, but your connected state as a part of the ecosystem with whatever systems and communities you are a part of. And I'm going to just bring in water here because as we were talking about spirituality and ecotherapy and this individual journey of like exploration and self and connection, I found that the further I dove into my spirituality, my culture, all the experiences I've had in my life, they all just came back to water. Like water was this unifying, connecting force and principle that just guided me and I've been drawn to and called to my whole life without really knowing why, without, again, it's like this spiritual connection to what I have with water that I can't really explain. And so I, I really view it as my sacred personal connection. But then as I really dived into that, into like my relationship with water, I found that it had such healing effects for me. And so then I brought it into my work with clients and I found that it had such healing effects into my clients. And so now I really am just a, such a proponent of not only reconnecting to, to nature, but specifically around connecting to the element of water and all of its wisdom for our own learning and healing and, and benefit. So I'll just do you have some examples that you could share about how you do, how you encourage your clients and patients to, to make those connections? Totally. So again, it's like a whole spectrum because like spirituality, relationship with water is infinite. So I meet people where they're at, which is what water does with you. It meets you where you're at 
And then there's just like layers of deepening relationships. So I, I, for my psychiatry clients and then people in my waterkeepers community, I always prescribe or recommend just even physically spending more time with water. Like just even that initial physical or even just looking at water. I'm going to start way back. We're talking about, okay, if you just want to go to water and look at water, you're going to have benefits. And there's so many studies around that already. I'm just like, Looking at water in the horizon is going to make you feel more calm and expansive. Just the lulling movements of water. So just even looking at water, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to benefit. You're going to feel better. If you want to take it a step further and physically engage with water, whether it's in a bathtub or getting in water or just spending time in the water, there's enhanced benefits of, of, of actually spending more time in the water, engaging with it. There's just health benefits of you getting more physical activity, but there's actually emotional, psychological benefits too. And I always tell people like you're the N of one in your own research study. And I know that after a long day at work or just a stressful time, like I want to go jump in water. And I feel like as soon as I do, everything washes away. It's like the quickest, healthiest fix that I can do if I'm like, if it's accessible. If it's not, I notice myself like turning towards less healthy things. I might want to put some food in my mouth or I might want to distract myself with other distractions when what my body really wants, what my body and psyche really want is to like jump in water. So then there's like just the physical interaction with water. And then as you deepen into your relationship with water, you realize that water can open up a relationship to your emotions. It can open up a relationship to your energy, to your spirituality. As you deepen your relationship to water, you will go to it, not just to look at, not just to play with, but for guidance, for comfort, for inspiration. So an, another easy example of that is I have found in my practices and in my work is that flowing water like rivers and streams and creeks are super helpful for dealing with grief. So if you are feeling like I'm, I'm needing some support with grief work, my heart is feeling heavy, I just have a lot of pain or such, besides whatever else you do around community support and, and journaling, I often tell people just to go and spend time with running water. And that really helps the grief process flow through you whether it evokes some of your own tears, which is, again, the rivers of tears is a sort of a parallel process to facilitating the grief process. Grief is not pathological. Grief is a process that needs to run through you. And so much in, in Western world is when we block up that grief process, it, it's what leads to downstream mental, psychological, emotional problems like depression and anxiety. So it's really important to let those waters of grief run through you. If you need help facilitating that, go spend some time by running water and, and just like energetically pick that up. Uh, and then there's like infinitely more examples that we can go into if you're interested or as our conversation flows, I can provide. And I, I love that you're also giving examples that are much more inclusive, right? You don't have to live right next to the water. You and I happen to live in California, so there is water not too far away, but a lot of the country and world does not live next to an ocean. And so the fact that you mentioned even 
bathtub water or finding a small running stream or something like that can provide that, those water benefits. You don't need to you know, live near an ocean to get those benefits. Totally. And I want to just say a few things about that because that's what my separation from the ocean was what really made me have to deepen my relationship to water. Just growing up in Hawaii on an island, I was surrounded by the ocean. It was just always there. And then when I moved to the mainland to, to go to college and then medical school, moved further inland to Chicago and then just ended up staying on the mainland and settling in an area that was not on the coast, I felt very disconnected from the ocean. And that left me feeling actually very parched. And it, I was neglecting a part of myself in being separated from the ocean. So I had to find a way to reconnect with water in order to restore my own well-being. And then it wasn't only about discovering that we may not all live close to the ocean, but we all live close to a water source. It's almost a necessity that we all live close to a water source. So finding out what is your local water source and watershed is again an awareness that modern humans have forgotten in our disconnection. So ecotherapy is about reminding you, you wouldn't be alive unless you're getting your water from somewhere. And if you don't know where you're getting your water from, it would be probably be good for you to find out like, where am I getting my drinking water from? To have the understanding of how water flows. And then ultimately to know that you are a body of water. You're made up of 70% water. So you can we can get disconnected from our own waters. That is what also leads to a lot of mental health symptoms is when we get disconnected from our own waters and our own truths. And so then my water journey led me to really also focus on the human body of water and your connection to your human body of water, the quality of your water, how it's flowing, what is it holding inside of you. And so that deeper exploration of also your connection to your own body of water is also part of this water healing framework. The way that you're describing a lot of this makes me think quite a bit of the different teachings and processes of, of mindfulness because it uses a lot of that kind of flowing language as well related to just acceptance and being in the moment. And, and I think that's where my mind went as you were describing some of these things. Totally. Water is always where it is in the moment. And it's also connected to everything else as well. And the water cycle continually repeats itself. Even if you're here, you should be here, but it's connected to everything you've already experienced and everything you are going to experience. And water is like this magical, physical reminder of all these deep spiritual truths that those of us who are spiritually curious and seeking water and nature if you look to water and nature they are actual physical representations of all these spiritual truths that we humans are trying to better understand and live out and that's our true nature too because we are a part of nature and we can can restore ourselves back into that web and, and we are living as a part of that spiritual truth. I love that sort of understanding of the the memory of water and just when we think about how varied and diverse it is, right? There's so many examples of the strength and power of water, you know, all the canyons it creates and then 
On the other hand, the nurturing nature of it and, and the nourishment it provides is just it's fascinating. Yeah. When you get into thinking about our planet as an ecosystem, like a whole living organism, which is, again, the, one of the tenets of eco-psychology is that the planet is an organism and all the living beings on it are part of that ecosystem. And you really understand the ecosystem, water, along with all the other elements. But water is one of the hugest driving forces of how our ecosystem functions, the movements of water, the, the tides, the water pressure systems. And so studying water really helps us understand so much of life on our planet. And, and each of our bodies is actually a mini, mini ecosystem of our planet. We have the same sort of ratio of body mass to volume ratio of, of our physical bodies as our planet does in terms of water and land mass. And, and if you look at our circulatory system under the microscope, our rivers of veins and arteries look very much like the rivers and veins of the arteries and rivers of our planet. So there's a very parallel process going on. As a reproductive psychiatrist, I'm also reminded of one of the one of the options that a lot of women choose during their labor and delivery process is also a water birth. And that's, that's an option for some people, not for everyone. But it's just interesting to think about the role of water in that kind of life transition. Totally. Whether you choose a water birth or not, we all came to life on this planet Earth as a human through the waters of our mother's womb which connects us to the waters of our entire ancestral line. So we all have this memory of being submerged in the womb, even if it's like really pre-conscious. It's a really deep memory we have in us that's just innate to us. And so that, I think that explains why some of us just feel that more strongly of that innate calling to water, but we all have a memory of it. And you had mentioned when we are when you're sharing how to explore spirituality, that really focusing a lot on questions, right? In contrast to diabetes, where you focus on answers. I'm, I'm curious what advice you might have for those who really want to incorporate ecotherapy and these kinds of relationships with nature into their lives for their mental health. So for ecotherapy, I'm such a fan of telling of not telling of recommending to people so if they're already interested in ecotherapy if a part of them is already saying yeah i'm really feeling like i need to or want to deepen my connection to nature that's a missing part of my wellness or my well-being i would just really encourage them to make time and space for that i think so much of how we live our lives ends up in the end of the day being what we prioritize and what we make time and space for. And part of the reason we are in the mess we are in is because our society has prioritized like profit over preservation and consumption over moderation. And so it's an uphill 
upstream swim to say, oh, I'm going to carve some time and space to just be out in nature and do nothing because you're not going to necessarily have a tangible like product or result at the end of the day. But when you're out in nature, you really soak in the wisdom of the nature and natural world, which is like, oh, there's really nothing to do. We're supposed to just be. We're just supposed to be and exist in in harmony with everything and enjoy what beauty we are given it. And the and so the the biggest medicine I often take when I spend time in nature is like coming back feeling just so like 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 empty, a little like spacious and empty around. Oh, I just feel really light and spacious. And so I think we just need to start making space, time and space, and 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 then things will grow. So whether it's your spirituality or your connection to nature, you need to start somewhere. And I'm always saying, start where you're at. Don't have to make yourself feel bad about, oh my God, like I'm not going to the national parks or I'm not taking a retreat to some remote area. Studies have found that even just spending 15 to 20 minutes a day outside in green space, whether it's just your little park is going to have some benefit and just building from there, just building from there. And so to take, make time and space is my sort of biggest recommendation is if you want to deepen your connection to nature. And when you want to deepen your connection to yourself, you got to make time and space for this, the self-care, this exploration, this curiosity. It's about time and space. So start where you're at and try to keep carving more time and space for that. Knowing that just being who you are is restoring yourself to your natural state. And I love that. And honestly, I think it it probably is, not probably, is a lot harder than it sounds because I think there, like you said, there's so much emphasis on being productive and getting things done and checking boxes and that sort of thing that really just making the time to be is a lot harder than it sounds. Totally. That's the paradox of this modern world, which is that the simplest medicine, but so simple. And yet we've made things so complicated and it's so hard. And, and when, when, when something's so simple, we almost doubt it. We say it can't be that simple. It can't be just like blocking off a day in my half a day or an hour in my day to in my week to to go hiking is actually going to make a difference in my life. And I will say it does. In the pandemic, when we weren't able to gather socially indoors, and it was a very challenging time in so many ways. That was when I actually found solo dates in nature to be my biggest medicine that reaped so many rewards. So I would say even spending, yeah, just spending time in nature by yourself or with others is going to be an investment that reaps so many rewards and you yourself will feel it in your well-being, physically, mentally, emotionally, but just start wherever you're at. Even like you're saying, it is hard. It is, it is hard. If, if you're, so even if it's hard to get out there, I would say bring it in. Put more houseplants in your home. 
And for those listening to the podcast, Dr. Wynn is pointing to her houseplants right now. The houseplants in my office and in every room in my house, because they remind me to, they're growing things just like me and they need to be watered. They needed to be tended to. If I forget to water them, they get brown and droopy. And that kind of reminds me like, oh, I'm neglecting my plants. And that may mean I'm neglecting myself. And they do bring a healing energy to your space when you bring in living, breathing parts of nature into your home. We live in spaces these days that are so insulated from the natural world. So bringing in plants really helps. Even pets. Pets. We, we've made them modern and Prozac them now, but we actually follow there. Like they need to be walked a couple times a day. They need to be, get some energy and activity out. We, they remind us to live our own true like nature. Yeah. I love it. Any other pearls for our listeners? And please also share with our listeners if they want to learn a little bit more about this and you and your work, how to find you. We'll be sure to include those in the show notes. Yeah, pearls. I will just say when we take, when we spend time in nature and we realize what a resource it is, we actually end up wanting to take care of nature better because we realize what a precious resource it is. Because at some point, if we don't protect it and take care of it, there won't be these beautiful places left and we all will be hurting then we there will be no place to go to and we will all be really suffering so while there still is time and opportunity for us to spend time in nature spending more time in nature will also motivate us to protect it which in the end will take care of us so again that whole ecotherapy concept of we are all connected. If we forget about our environment and don't take care of it in this climate change, ecological, environmental crisis we are in, if we, we don't protect these spaces, we will die as a species as well. Don't want to end on that note. I <laughs> Nature is super resilient. And the more we spend time in it and love it, the more it will come back to life and the more we will come back to life. So uh, this unique way of doing psychiatry is my multidimensional psychiatry. You can find me at multidimensionalpsychiatry.com. And then I also run a separate healing group centered around deepening your healing relationship to water, waterkeeperscommunity.com. And so I would love to just continue to be a voice and spokesperson for all of this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This was such an enriching conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure that the listeners did as well. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Gleaser. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.